Anyway, there's a lot of confusion that exists in the world. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about uh, the Christian life, what it looks like. Uh, what If God would just tell me what to do, I would be happy. Well, he has told you what to do. And we're going to talk about that today. Because what he told you to do is not what most people think he told us to do. You know, when you think about what it is you're to do, there are only two sources of, uh, of instruction, a form of instruction that came to us in this life that dictates or causes us to do the things that we do in life. And one of those means came to us in the garden where mankind chose to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in so doing, they... Now, so Adam partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we also find ourselves partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, whether this was like passed down from Adam in our DNA, or whether Adam was a precursor or, an, or, or a type of mankind, and mankind just naturally tends to gravitate to the same conclusions that Adam did, I'm really not sure about that. All I know is we all have partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that belief system permeates our thinking. In fact, when you, this, is, this is what this illustration is all about. This veil that I have drawn here indicates the, the veil that was in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, what do we know about the veil in the temple in Jerusalem? What, what did the scriptures say? happened when Jesus was crucified. The veil was rent from top to bottom when he was crucified. Now, and, and what happened right after that? It's kind of a curious thing. Right after the veil was rent, the scriptures say, and the graves were opened and many godly people appeared in Jerusalem. Can you believe that? Now, I got to tell you, that blows my mind because I didn't think right. the resurrection or any form of resurrection was going to take place until the Lord returned and there was this general resurrection of the dead. But there was a resurrection that took place. And I think that that was a precursor or a picture of the general resurrection that would take place when all those who belong to him are resurrected. But uh, the veil is an interesting thing, and it's meant to illustrate something. And the renting or the, the, the tearing of that veil is meant to say something to us or to communicate something to us. Listen to this uh, interesting thing. There are only two laws that exist in the universe. You know what they are? They are the law of sin and death 
and the law of the spirit of life. Everyone finds themselves under one of these laws. Now, the folks that have partaken in the law of the spirit of life while we're still in this body come under the influence of the law of sin and death. But we are not partakers of that law. We have been taken out from the bondage of the law of sin and death and have come under the reign of the law of the spirit of life. We're going to talk about these things. Anybody have any thoughts, questions about that? Turn with me, if you would, too, if, if you have your, uh, your Bible on your phone, I'm sure. Nobody has a real Bible today. <laughs> Everybody's got a Bible on their phone. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now, just to give you a little bit of kind of heads up, in Romans chapter 7, Paul, who knew the Lord, had just gone through this uh, explanation of influences that existed in his life after he had come to know the Lord, where he was struggling with the law of sin and death, but finally came to a conclusion that was beginning to enable him to live according to the spirit of life, defeating the law of sin and death in, in his life. Now, listen, listen to uh, Romans chapter 8. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, I've got to explain something to you here. Every believer is walking after the spirit and not after the flesh. That is actually who we are. This is not like one minute I'm walking after the flesh, one minute I'm out. The reason there is no condemnation is because that's where we find ourselves. It, because there would be condemnation if we could walk after the, the flesh, but we cannot walk after the flesh if you were in the spirit. So he says this, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was, could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for a sin offering condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So what does this tell us? Number one, what is there any condemnation for the believer? And do we walk? I'm not saying we don't struggle with the flesh, but do we walk in the flesh? Or do we walk in the spirit if, if you are a believer? We walk in the spirit. That's why there is now no condemnation. He goes on. He says, oh, before we go, let's take a look at, let's look at this uh, illustration here. So here's a bag. And 
again, as I mentioned earlier, the whole world, its thinking, its perspective on life, its perspective of God, is all governed by the law of sin and death, which is that through your knowledge of good and evil, you can attain God-likeness and eternal life. Now, anybody have any thoughts in regard to who might be thinking like that? That we know right from wrong, good from evil, and through that knowledge, we are going to attain righteousness and eternal life. Who believes like that? Democrats. No. Yes, them too. Them too. But no, you know who you know who believes like that? Oops, I just lost my foot. Oh, oh, Stepping on it. Oh. All right. The whole world believes like that. Right. And that that's why you can't point to uh, the Democrats or well, this this religious group over here or, or, or the conservatives or anyone else and say they believe like that because the whole world believes like that. However, where it really manifests itself is in religion. I mean, because God-likeness is something that every religion, and I'm telling you, even the mystic religions, God-likeness and eternal life or believed to come through our perfecting ourselves in the flesh somehow or another and in, in, in that fashion attaining godliness and eternal life. But what, go ahead. Um, you were talking about the precursor. Um, maybe, maybe the first 10 years of my religious life I would use the Romans road, right? Sure. And then, then I found grace. And I, this is how for the past 30 years, I have been explaining grace or explaining the spirit of life. So I would ask someone, did you create sin? Obviously we didn't. Mm -hmm. So we must've been born into sin. We were born into a story, an amazing story, of great love and terrifying death. And there was one who came to rescue us from that death. So there was no, I'm, I was taking out, okay, so I must be, I must do to be. Sure. I was take, eliminating that together and just keeping it as simple as I could. And, and people, it just, when I ask people, did you create sin? It almost looks like a relief on their face. Like, no, I didn't. They understand that they were born into this. Mm -hmm. and, and we hear Paul say, I'm a wretch, and they don't understand what he's really saying. Mm -hmm. He's in a bad situation. Right. Or right. was. Sure. <laughs> um, so that's how I do my, that's how I do the priest person. Yeah. You know, we all want to. Uh, you know, according to knowledge of good and evil. By the way, let's let's talk about the knowledge of good and evil and the veil, because the veil, in essence, is 
our partaking of that belief system cause that veil to exist in our minds toward ourselves and toward God. In other words, we're, we are blocked off from the revelation of truth and of love and of grace that are found in him by something that exists in our minds. And that's, that's what this veil represents. That veil exists in our minds. And what does that veil do? Number one, it has us blind to the truth. Now, nobody likes to think this of themselves. Everybody thinks they know the truth, especially in, in religious systems. Everybody's way is the truth to them. But the truth is, this veil does blind us from the truth. Most people in religion would say that that is the case. It produces this belief system that through our knowledge of good and evil we can attain God. It produces the fruit of the flesh. Why would it do that? Why would believing that through the knowledge of good and evil we can attain godlikeness, why would it produce the fruit of the flesh? I mean, that's religion. I mean, yeah. if you look at every religion, you know, if you're Catholic and you die and you don't get the rights, you know, if you don't get some man-made uh, ritual, you die, or you have communion 38 minutes before you eat, you got a moral sin. I'm just saying, so it's a it's a work, right? And and like uh, you know, Baptists, and I'm, I'm not going to have any friends after this. And <laughs> Baptists, if you dance mm -hmm. or drink a little bourbon, you're condemned to hell, mm -hmm. basically. Yep. Um, now, if you do it in secret and lights, God may not see it, but you know, <laughs> you know to be fair, not every Baptist. No, no, I'm just saying, but that's, that's, okay. that's part of the religion. Then you have, you know, then you have like evangelicals. They're like, we got it. You don't. We're better than you. And you're some, you know, somehow you're, you know, or I think a lot of evangelicals are like, um, you know, God is sitting in a press box. He radio, radios down the place to you and you got to run it. And if you don't run it right, you feel condemned. So, you know, there you go there. And then you have, you know, all my point is all religion you see all the institutions, Republicans, Democrats, government, education, the foundation's religion. And the foundation of that is you get light through good, you know, knowledge of good and evil. And that's just a, that's just a symptom yeah. and of the religion. And what you're describing there is, you know, the Baptists believe this is what is right and what is wrong, what is good right. and what is evil. This is how you eternal, attain eternal life. The, the Pentecostals have their ways. Right. The Catholics have their ways. The Muslims have their ways. Which the aren't Jehovah's much, which much different. Have their ways. Everybody has their way, their things that they do and partake of according to their knowledge of good and evil, correct? Mm -hmm. Their understanding of good and evil. But what did God say about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Do not partake of that tree for in the day that you do, you will surely die. So in our minds, by the way, this is kind of, I'm, I'm trying to unravel something for us in our minds. 
that we're not confused about where the law of the spirit of life is from. Because the thinking that is in the world does not emanate from the law of the spirit of life, but it emanates from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree has placed a veil in front of us. And the other thing, you know, how everybody has their own way, what would that cause in the world? If, in other words, if your way is different than my way, and I'm convinced that life is found in my way, and death is found in your way, does war. that foster love and brotherhood? <laughs> and division. Oh, no, division, war. no, it does not. Divisions and war and enmity. Now that can be between religions, between nations, between individual people in a home. There's only one thing to have divisiveness about. And it, it's a good divisiveness because when, you're when you tell people that God loves you apart from your works, some people are not going to like you because of that. But if you can convince them or show them how that reality is true, they will love you for it. But until you do, they're going to say, no, surely we have to do something. Surely we have to have some laws governing our behavior. Because, listen, <laughs> you look in the book of Galatians, and the book of Galatians tells the, the Galatians, O oh, foolish Galatian, who hath bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would ask, I'll ask you one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? And obviously the answer to that is no. So if you receive the Spirit not according to the law, why do you go back to the law as if it is going to produce life in you? But there's no life found in the law. The law cannot produce the life of God. So, I'm, I'm, yes, Jim. You know, you can read the first few verses of Romans chapter 8 and get under a lot of condemnation <laughs> if you're making judgments according to the knowledge of good and evil. Absolutely. Your interpretation of Romans chapter 8 would be different, thinking that you can walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. Yeah. And, and that's the way the carnal mind will look at that. But, but you have to put it all together. You have to think. And God has to reveal. Because when he says, there's therefore now no condemnation, he is defining the difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. And when the believer does that thing. And when is that? Never. We, are, we can be influenced by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we do not walk there. Because if we could walk there at any moment, you could not say there is not now there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Oh, I think the other thing too is when the veil was broken, it wasn't broken in Pontius Pilate's living room or the town <laughs> square or everywhere else. It was broken in in, in the temple, which to me demonstrates that's the origin or the chief originator 
of that belief system. That's right. You know, in other words, theoretically, if the Jews didn't have that belief system, then, you know, the Romans would have never, ever prevailed over them in their, I guess, oppression. Not not physically, but in a way of... They're seeing it as oppression. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Well, it was oppression. It was. but, but, But they would not... It would not, they would not have been striving to overthrow the Roman government, just like Jesus was not trying to right. overthrow the Roman government, if they had the law of the spirit of life abiding over there, living in them. So, this, uh, this veil produces in the human heart the fear of judgment and condemnation, the curse of death. It is a dividing wall, and it causes us to be blind to the truth of God. So we talked about where that, now watch this. So here's a low guy. You know who that low guy is? Everybody, okay? (laughs) Now, I want you to understand the ridiculous nature of trying to attain godliness and life through human effort. This guy, believing that through his knowledge of good and evil, is somehow or another breaching or trying to breach or to break through an impenetrable wall to find something that is only found in God. By his own efforts, he is striving to breach a wall that is unbreachable. Do you think that that's possible? Okay. It is utterly impossible to do that. Now, what existed on the other side of that wall? The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. And what did that represent? The presence of God, right? In other words, if somehow or another a person, this guy here, can find themselves on the other side of the wall, what would he find? Jesus. He would find Jesus. He'd find mercy. He'd find life. He would find the law of the spirit of life abiding in him. I'm going to tell you, the gospel is ridiculously simple. (laughs) Either you are abiding under the law of sin and death, or you're abiding in the law of the spirit of life. And that's it. That is, in essence, the gospel. But listen, what would we say was the purpose of the law given to Moses to the people? Can you imagine our living under the, uh, the law of sin and death and God giving Moses on Mount Sinai his law. What would be the purpose of that? Now I got to tell you, God is a pretty smart fellow. <laughs> okay, he's a very smart guy. Okay. And in his wisdom, he knew that man was thinking like this. So what he did was he said, look, what I'm going to do 
is I'm going to give humanity through the Jews my law, the embodiment of what good and evil really is. Love the Lord your God, God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. You know, all of these things that are found in the law. And the purpose in him giving us the law was what? Anybody got a clue? So that they couldn't in. do it. To show us. Go to the end of yourself. To show us that this way brought death. How did he do that? Do you know anybody <laughs> that have obeys the law? Do you know anybody that loves God with his whole heart and soul and mind? Do you know anybody who has never lied or who does not lie on a regular basis or stretch the truth? Uh, Jesus came and magnified the law. He said, listen, the law says don't commit adultery. I say, if you even look at a woman with lust, he's looking from God's perspective. You've committed adultery in your heart. He wasn't joking. He wasn't magnifying the righteousness you had to attain. He was telling you that if you want to live according to the law, if you even get angry with another person, it's as if you murdered that person. You know why? Because that's where anger can take you. If it gets strong enough, if the anger gets strong enough, it could turn to murder. And you are capable of that. Every human being is capable of that. So Jesus magnified to the law, the law, to those professing to obey the law, to bury every human being. No man, according to the law, will ever attain righteousness. So that leaves man in a little bit of a quandary, doesn't it? If the law of sin and death is reigning over me, and the law of Moses is testifying to me that I transgress the law of God and cannot, through the knowledge of good and evil, attain life or godliness because it is not producing it in me, I still transgress the law. It, 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 I don't want to say it reveals that there is a veil between God and us. So that leaves us in a quandary. What do we do? And, now, that's, this is pretty good. Now, watch this. We're going to go back. Go back to Romans chapter 8. And uh, Romans chapter 7. We're going to go back to Romans chapter 7. And we're going to talk about this. Listen to this. We're going to go to verse, we're going to go to 719. Listen to what Paul writes here. He says, For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil that I would not do, that I do. Now, if I do what I don't want, what I do not, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now watch this. So Paul is saying this. He's a believer. And he's saying, I, have, I, I struggle and come under the influence 
of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the law of sin and death. I can be influenced by that. But he says, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer me, I who do it, but sin that dwelleth in my flesh. I find then a lot work that when I would do good, evil is present with me. In other words, like the more he tried to do good, the more effort he put into breaching this wall, that when I want to do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God according to the inner man, but I see another law at work in my memory, warring against the law of my mind, and bring me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then he says this, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the bo this body of death? Well, he actually has an answer to that. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I serve the law of God but in the flesh, the law of sin. So let me show you how it applies to the law. When in our minds as believer, we are seeking to establish our own righteousness through the workings of some religious law, I don't care what that law is, the law of tithing, it can be the law of not committing adultery, not murdering, loving God with your heart, whole heart, soul, and mind, as long as you, through your fleshly obedience to the law, are trying to breach that wall, you will never breach it, and you will find yourself at enmity with God and with man. That is what's going to happen when you try to breach that wall through your own effort. But he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So, in Christ, in, in, in Paul's mind, he found himself over here. The, the law that was ruling his life was the law of the spirit of life, and I can prove that. For he says, therefore, is there, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, has set me free from the law of sin and death. So, as Paul walked through this life, you know what he said? You know how he, he described his life? He said, uh, I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live. But I, not, not I, it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, this is how he lives it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how easy the Christian life actually is. I live this life by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how I live this life. You live your life like that, and what comes out of your life is going to be the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control because it's not based on your breaching some kind of wall climbing over it establishing your own righteousness according to the law which you will never do 
your life will be in him and he will be in you and the story is over Jim but he didn't say I live by making judgments terms of whether I'm living by the law of sin and death and the law of spirit he said I, I live by the faith of the son of God absolutely so it's so easy to walk through a day if, if, if the law of sin and death has control over you making judgments as to whether or not you're living in the spirit of the flesh which causes you to be extremely religious, right? Sure. All, always evaluating your behavior, constantly evaluating what you're doing and what you're not doing. Evaluating everybody else. And evaluating everybody else. Exactly. It's kind of interesting that you say that too, because uh, this guy, you know, like the first Adam, is, you know, constantly striving to breach the wall to find God. The believer knows God. And, and you know what the scriptures say? Not the scriptures, Jesus said this. He said, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. To know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. That is what eternal life is. So it is in knowing Come on, Get on. Get on. Is coming to know and becoming one with your Creator that you find completeness and perfection. Perfection could not be attained through the Levitical priesthood through the law, through the law of Moses. But when you find yourself in the one who is perfect, what do you find? The indestructible life of God in whom is no sin. Let me show you what happened. When Jesus died on the cross, He breached that wall. And we find ourselves in Him because on the cross, He revealed the heart of God towards us. For God, what? So loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him may not perish, but has eternal life. So, because he loved us, and we see that love of God in Jesus' face, looking at us from the cross, the ones who crucified him, and saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We see that love. We believe in that love. And the veil is rent. The knowledge of good and evil as a means to righteousness, a means to eternal life, is destroyed and taken out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. And now we find ourselves one with God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, it is finished. It is finished. 
Still, can, go ahead. Well, you see, I think that, like, the enemy, or whoever he is, you know, when he was persecuting the church, he's like, this doesn't work. It keeps growing. So he said, let me get back and join the church again and work from within. And it's a very subtlety because what religion says is due to crucifixion of Jesus, you have the opportunity to be with him, him if you do A, B, and C. Right. Rather than being in him, period, and the only way you would not have him is if you affirmatively reject him. So I mean, it's a difference between having the opportunity, which religion says, mm -hmm. and the opportunity in order to achieve that opportunity, you have to do a bunch of impossible things. When you are under the law of sin and death, yeah. when you're under that law, you in effect now, it's, it's important to understand that this veil exists in our minds and in our hearts, okay? Because there has to be a change in belief that enables you to see that you are believing a lie and that the truth is Jesus. So when you come to the end of yourself and you say, because the law tends to bring you to the end of yourself, listen, this is not working for me. I am not becoming more righteous. Matter of fact, I find the harder that I try to be righteous, I, I find sin is right there with me. And I'm overcome by it. I'm still struggling to find God through means of the law. And I'm, I'm not talking about just the law of Moses. I'm talking about every religious law that exists on the planet. You will never attain righteousness through the law. You attain righteousness through coming to have union with your creator. And the result of that is that the spirit that was in him becomes your spirit. It's the only way to righteousness and eternal life. And what is that through? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law you have that every law that may have ever existed which is no longer a part of your life because you died to that law through the body of christ every law that you thought you thought could bring you righteousness you died to in the body of christ and now you are in him and he is in you in the spirit that is in him now exists within you and you can live according to the spirit because see yes. like and I, I'm, I'm just sort of focused on the religious thing yeah. <laughs> but like you know you were taught like with the with the prostitute mm -hmm. you know i mean this is the universal teaching is mm -hmm. you know jesus stopped her from getting stoned sort of wagged his finger at and said quit hooking and uh, you'll have heaven <laughs> Which is they said, and so I mean they they told us that, well she had to quit hooking. Process, you know whatever, mm -hmm. prior to attaining righteousness, and I think that's been a universal teaching, mm -hmm. and 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 really what he was just saying is just don't live as an orphan. Now that would probably solve the hooker issue, mm -hmm. 
but that comes as a secondary benefit, but that's not the primary issue. The issue is this. Yeah. She was looking at man, mankind's right. view and opinion of her. And what did they say? Stoner, she committed adultery. That was her, and she was looking at herself, the shame that she found in her. Can you imagine being caught in the act of adultery, being thrown naked in front of these people, and them saying, Jesus, she's been caught in adultery. The law of Moses said stoner. What do you say? It's a doubt that she was being thrown in front of the people who she was hooking with. <laughs> Probably so. Probably so. But this is, this is the real issue. She was viewing herself according to man and according to the free of the knowledge of good and evil, right? When Jesus said, when he wrote on the ground and said, he who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. Now, these guys were actually smart enough to realize that they were not without sin. So they all went away. And it left her there with Jesus. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? And he said, they said, uh, he said, they're gone. There is none. He says, neither do I accuse you. And he says, go and sin no more. Now the carnal mind and the carnal interpretation as you, you, you bring up is go and do not commit adultery anymore or do not, you know, fornicate without. But that's not what he was saying. According to the spirit, according to the flesh, that is very much what people believe that he was saying, but that's not what he was saying. He said, he was saying this, that was mankind's and Satan's accusations toward you. I do not condemn you. Go and believe my testimony of you and not the world's. Now, I can tell you this. When she got up, she sinned again. Not, not necessarily adult. I'm just saying she sinned again after that point. So knowing that she most certainly sinned again after that, did that bring her back under the con condemnation? No, Jesus did not condemn her. And he said, listen, go and believe my testimony of you and not the world's and Satan's accusations toward you. That's what that sin is. But I was hoping when, when, she, when she heard that, go and sin no more, that she understood it, as far as the east is from the west, done. You know, you know, it makes you wonder. I have no idea what her interpretation of that was. Immediate, but, but I was hoping but, it would be. But yes, you would absolutely, no question. After what she absolutely. went through, I mean, the whole the whole thing was a setup. They're supposed to bring the man too, mm -hmm. and trial him, not just not just her naked on the ground. So it was a setup to fool Jesus. That's right. They were trying to trick Jesus, right. but he he he. Uh, he clarified that yeah, it, that issue there. But what we what we want to do is when he said go and sin no more, we want to say that when he said sin no more, he was saying don't do this behavior. Anymore. That's right. What he was saying is 
go and don't believe the world system anymore. That's right. Believe me. Amen. So we want to categorize sin as behavior versus what we believe. Yes. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the definition of grace, which is, now I'm not going to remember it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> divine persuasion. Divine, divine persuasion. Divine influence on the heart of man that yeah. causes man to believe what God truly thinks of it. That's right. And I'm thinking about all the people that I know that are not thinking about that. That's right. And, and they're not you, thinking about the, the veil. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I just have to believe that God's influence in their hearts in some way or another that they're not even aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the religious crowd who think that they've got it right. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so most folks that we know in, in evangelical Christianity, uh, see much, they may not have seen so clearly what the issue is and what the veil is and how that veil has been taken away and that both the law of Moses and the free of the knowledge of good and evil, the law of sin and death has been rent and we now are one with the Lord. And because we are one with the Lord, we will produce his fruit and the it is over, it is finished. You have been perfected forever, the writer of Hebrews said. Maybe they're seeing that a little bit clearer. But this is where the real issue exists in the church. They know that we are saved, okay? Because we believe in Jesus and we have eternal life. Most evangelical Christianity says, you're saved by the grace of God through faith not of works. And it's not necessarily just a rote thing that they believe. They actually believe that. And it is true. And guess what? Plenty of people out there are saved, but are confused because they still have a, a, a veil that is being placed before him by putting them under the law, which has them believing again that through the knowledge of good and evil, they can attain righteousness. Right. But listen to how Paul addresses this. Listen to this. This is... Uh, Romans chapter 3, he says, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Not obey the law, but obey the truth. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly, was evidently set forth as crucified among you. In other words, there was something that we saw in Jesus this crucifixion that caused something to happen to us. And this only what I learned from you. Did you receive the Spirit through obeying the Ten Commandments or by obeying the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Did you receive the Spirit through obedience of the law or because you heard about Jesus that caused your union and oneness with God? Did you receive it through the law or did you receive it through the hearing of the faith? Are you so foolish, having, having begun by the Spirit, 
Are you trying to perfect yourself through the law? Let me say this again. When I say the law, you can go to a, a Baptist Pentecostal church, any other church, and believe one thing, like circumcision. You got to believe in God. That's all you have to do and be circumcised. That's what was happening in the church that Paul was talking about here. But you could scratch out circumcision and write tithing. You don't have to do and You're not under the law anymore, except you got to give 10% to this church. And if you don't, you're under a curse. Do not believe that because it is simply not true. You are putting yourself back under the curse of death, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when you do that. You begin trying to breach a wall that has already been breached for you. So he says, have ye suffered so much in vain, if it is what is in vain? He therefore that minneth you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doth he by the work of the law or by the hearing of the faith? Even Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him for his righteousness. He came even before the law. Know ye not that they which are of faith are the children of Abraham? So that's where the confusion comes in. Yes, we're saved by faith, but, but now that we're saved, surely, surely God wants us to obey the Ten Commandments, and surely he does. But it don't come through the Ten Commandments, and the obedience that he's called you to, or the righteousness that he called you to, is seen when you see love of God in the face of Jesus toward you. When you see the love of God in the face of Jesus, that is when the work is complete and the veil is rent. Let me, let me tell you why that is. Because we believe in the faith of God. We don't believe in our faith. We believe in the faith of God. And where do we see the faith of God? We see the faith of God in this man who could have come down from the cross and said, and, and destroyed all of his enemies and set up his kingdom. But he didn't do that. He forgave his enemies. And he believed that God would resurrect his dead body from the grave and set him at his right hand. That is the faith of God. And his faith becomes our faith when we reject the law of Moses and the law of sin and death for life. When we come to realize that God and produce in us 
what we can't produce by ourselves. I gotta tell you something. The reason the, the Christian world believes the way it does, and it's under the law so much like this, is because they don't believe that God can cause you to be a good person. They, they don't believe that God can produce in you his spirit, his fruit. They don't believe that because they would not tell you that you have to do one thing. They would not tell you you have to tithe. You have to go to church three times a week. You got to read your Bible. They wouldn't tell you that. But because they don't believe, they have to control the behavior of the constituency mm -hmm. of these churches. They don't believe that God can do this. Yes. But if you ask the man on the street if he's a good person, what will he say? Yes. Yes. Well, you know why that is, okay? Because he's believing in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How does somebody speak of that? Because, you know, finally he said, well, you know, I am a good person. <laughs> he, he was a mess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You see, if you want to take it to the extreme, at least Stalin and Masai Tung were upfront about what they're doing. The church is deceptive, mm. not intentionally deceptive, but it's deceptive because, you know, Stalin didn't say, promise, you know, uh, glory to earth. He's just saying, you can work your butt off for me just so that I can run the country like I want. Mm -hmm. But the church says, you're going to get eternal life by doing this work, which is going to cause enemy enemy with God. That's right. And so that's far more deceptive than the things we're complaining about today in our own, you know, in our own situation. Because I'm not saying it's intentional. The, 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 the deception exists everywhere. But, but, but th this is true, okay? That in the name of God, yeah. people are saying eternal life and righteousness is found through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for obedience to the law. And that is not true and whatever the source of that is usually you know what the source of that is it's just tradition it's what was passed down from one group of people to the next one uh set of baptist folks down to the next set of baptist folks or, or pentecostal folks or whoever it's passed down in that fashion and uh i hope that whoever's listening today to this is coming to grips with the fact that the Lord revealed his love to us on the cross and completely saved us completely saved us and there is nothing else to do there is nothing else to do you have been made perfect forever and when you realize that he loved me and he made me perfect forever, it is going to affect what comes out of you in a way that the law could never do. The law could never produce what God can produce when you begin to see that he has made you perfect forever and given you his eternal life. Because in that very life that he gave to you, is no sin and no doubt.
I, 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 I like the curtain. I like thinking about the curtain also as it opens up and God goes, ta-da, this is who I am. That's right. This is my intention towards you. Absolutely. And this is who you are to me. That's right. My, my child. You're actually seeing the face of God yeah. beaming through the darkness of a wall that had you blinded right. and confused in regard to how to have eternal life and have, how, to, how to be a good person, if you want to say it like that. You know, God wants to fashion you. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship. And, and I don't know, I mean, I, honestly, I've known this for a very long time. And I know a lot of believers and attended a lot of different churches. And I don't understand how they can't see it. But I'll tell you why. They, oh, I know why they can't see it. Pride. Because of the veil. But you see, the, the, the thing, you know, the first sin recorded chronologically in, in, in the Bible was Satan wanting to be God. And he was thrown out, which is pride. And then he had his second time manifested. But what the church teaches is the same pride that got Satan thrown out of heaven. I'm, you know, which is probably hard for people to swallow, especially the pastors. But um, the fact is, what they're saying is the pastor is saying you can only attain the righteousness of God through what I tell you to do, or how I tell you to do it, or how I believe. It should be done, you know, whether it should be through ritual, through small groups, through workbooks, through reading the Bible at 4.15 in the morning or 10 rosaries a day, what have you. That is no different than what Satan and Adam did in heaven. I mean, that's the cold, cold hard facts. Thank God that Jesus has mercy on that. But that's the same deal. It's, it's, there's really no difference. It's just it's wrapped up with a different wrapping paper, sure. different exterior. Yo, listen to this. When I first came to know the Lord, I, I read, it was like through reading the Living Bible. And the Living Bible is a paraphrase of the Scriptures. But I got to tell you, they do a pretty good job of paraphrasing the Scriptures. And I want to read to you. And by the way, as we go through this, interrupt me if you want, because I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in the Living Bible. And it is so... Actually, this is how I came to know grace so well so early on in my walk. Listen to this. Are we beginning like those false teachers of yours to commend ourselves? And do we need to bring long letters of recommendations with them? Uh, who need that? Long letters of recommendations? I think you hardly need someone's letter to tell you about us, do you? And we don't need to recommend a recommendation from you for us. The only letter we need is you yourselves. By looking at the good, the good change in your hearts, everyone can see that we, what, we put a, what a job we've done with you. They can see that you are a letter from Christ written by us. It is not a letter written with a pen and ink, 
but by the spirit of a living God, not one carved on stone, but on human hearts, not on stone, but on the human heart. We dare to say good things about ourselves only because of our great trust in God through Christ, that he will help us to be true to what he, what he says. And not because we think anything of ourselves of any value. The only power we have comes from God. He is the one who has helped us to tell others about the new agreement to save him, to, to save them. We do not tell them they must obey every law of God and die, but we tell them that there is life that can come to them through the Holy Spirit. The old way of trying to be saved through keeping the Ten Commandments ends in death, and the new way through the Holy Spirit leads to life. Yet that old system of law that led to death began with such glory that the peoples could not bear to look at Moses' face. For as he gave them the law to obey, his face shone with the very glory of God, though that brightness was fading. Shall we not expect far greater glory in these days when the Holy Spirit is giving us life? If the plan that leads to doom was glorious, how much more is the glorious that makes men right with God? In fact, the first glory, as it's shown in Moses' face, is worth nothing compared in comparison to the overwhelming glory of the new agreement. So if the old system that was fading is nothing, was full of heavenly glory, the glory of the new plan or our salvation is certainly even greater, for it is eternal. Since we have this glory, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not see that glory as it faded away. Not only Moses' face was veiled, but the people's minds were veiled, and, and their understanding was blinded too. Even now, when the scriptures are read, it seems that the Jewish heart and mind is covered with a thick veil because they cannot see and understand the meaning of the scriptures. For the veil of misunderstanding can be removed only by believing in Christ. Even to this day, when Moses is read, their hearts are blind and they think they must obey the Ten Commandments in order to be saved. But whenever one, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And where the Spirit of the Lord gives this life, there is freedom from trying to be saved through obeying the law. But we Christians have no veil over our faces. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him. I like that. Yeah. Did you write that down? Yeah. <laughs>
the living bible chapter three okay second corinthians chapter three oh, it's yes. interesting that i think in most every courthouse in the united states you walk in you see the ten commandments if they're still allowed to be there i, don't know. <laughs> I wonder if it wouldn't be a lot better just put john three sixteen there and take the ten commandments down absolutely because i was picking my granddaughter up at school a couple of years ago and they have the ten commandments right outside on this stone thing and a fellow had his eight or nine year old son standing in front of it and he was telling him how important it is for him to learn to keep those commandments cursing that kid mm -hmm. yeah it, you know the issue is the world finds itself under the law of sin yeah. and it has a veil placed before them I mean, not just the jewish mind the whole world yeah. has this veil before their face and when anyone turns to the lord the veil is taken away and we can see and experience the glory of God himself. Now, I, you know, again, for anybody that might be out there listening, would you rather, somehow or another, through religious tradition, religious law, or even the Ten Commandments, try to make yourself into a good person? Or would you rather reflect the glory and love of Christ in your life. Well, listen, it is your choice. You can reflect the glory of God or you can establish your own righteousness. Well, you see, like, the two biggest impairments of Christianity are Christians and guilt and shame, or people who call themselves Christians. But, like, if you're, you know, people struggle with drug addiction, alcohol addiction, you know, whatever addiction it is, if like part of the, what, the 12 steps is to go to people and say, you apologize. But a lot of people you're going to apologize to is going to give you the middle finger and say, <laughs> you know, you, you ruined my life or whatever. But if you understood that you're forgiven by God and that your recovery or whatever is not based on what other people think, it frees you up from that guilt and shame. You, you just look at it and say, that person is not in a place where they can forgive me and it's no big deal. This is how, how opposite yeah. God's way is than man's right. way. Because listen to this. Yeah. I'm sure some of you have heard this before. That if I teach people that they're no longer under the law, any system of law, religious, traditional, or the Mo law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, you are no longer under the law in any way, shape, or form. If you tell somebody that, then they can just do whatever they want to do. Now, I'm going to tell you why they say that. I just want you to understand, and anybody out there that's listening, why they say that. It's because the veil is still up in their minds, and they believe that righteousness is attained through their knowledge of good and evil by the commandments. But the commandments testify to you that you're not obeying those laws and that you will never breach this wall that separates you from God through your human effort. It will never happen. You will never attain righteousness. We find life and reflect the glory of God 
because we see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ and the, and the love of God for us who justifies the ungodly. I believe in a God who does not justify the righteous because there are no righteous. I believe in the God who justifies, declares innocent, accepts as his children the ungodly. Now, someone would say, someone who is thinking like this, say, man, you are heretic. But listen, the Apostle Paul said that himself. He said, we believe in a God who justifies the ungodly. No, he doesn't leave the ungodly ungodly. He makes them godly by their union with him. Because if you believe in the God who justifies the ungodly and brings us in union with God, and you say that that's where sin is going to emanate, who exactly is it that is in sin? It's the one who's saying that that is sin. You have to face the truth. Consider these things. Anybody have any other thoughts? You know, to touch on what Doug said, um, if, if people don't have in their heart to forgive us, you know, I understand that now. That they just all they are, their purpose is. I'll give you an example. I, I said, we were talking to someone and about being justified, and they said, wait a minute. So if somebody brutally murdered your son, you wouldn't want justice. I said, well, if they let me pull the handle and electrocute him, I still wouldn't feel justified. The only justification would come if my son was alive again. Exactly. That would bring me justification. Okay. So... Um, I understand I, when you when you walk by grace, you do have people who think you are a heretic. Yeah. I can totally understand that because they don't have the well, spirit let me tell you, of life. Let me tell you what I'm trying to do here. I don't. I don't treasure being called a heretic, <laughs> nor do I treasure being persecuted. What I treasure is understanding. And the desire that I have in my heart is that people come to an understanding about God that he has given us eternal life and that life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son does not have the life. If you have the life, you have the righteousness of God himself and that righteousness is a good thing. I'm not looking for misunderstanding or to be called a heretic because I'm not a heretic. I am looking to communicate and cause people to understand the truth. That's all I'm concerned with. I, I don't want to be called a heretic. It's not a good thing. <laughs> Nor is it a good thing to be a heretic. It's a bad thing. But listen, God said, believe in me and I'll give you my eternal life. And in that life is no sin. And if that life is your life, then you're going to live forever and you have everything you need for life and godliness. If that's what God said and he did say that, that is what I'm trying to communicate to people. And 
that's why I don't like to talk about the different religions and what they believe and how they're wrong because then you're entering into this realm again. It's not their, the issues and what they believe that's the issue. It, what is the truth? How do we communicate it to people in a fashion, in a spiritual fashion, that they can see and understand and come to believe in this life that come, came to us from God through Jesus? How can that be understood? But I think also, and I'm, I'm probably myself, Jesus had a lot of wrath against what the Pharisees believed. I mean, he he got full elevated. You know, you know, throwing around, you know, throwing tables around and that sort of thing. So, I mean, part of it is too is hate the death that's being taught, that is causing so much deception to people. And, and and which is goes goes along with you. It's, yeah. it's just it's just you know the I guess the you know the wrath that you have for this false message that is causing so much condemnation, causing so much guilt, causing so much shame, and also you know you know causing you know I guess deception. Yeah, I want I want to read something to you that kind of illustrates what you're talking about. Listen to this. I hope I can find it quickly. Hang on. So all I got to do is go through 610 <laughs> search verses here. You know, I'll get to it. Hang on. I may have to do it by memory. Go ahead. So, Marie, that'll be a miracle. Marie says, if I can do it from memory, it'll be a miracle. The Lord said, he said, many will come to me in that day, saying, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We uh, heal the sick in your name. We did many great, wonderful things in your name. And he will look at them and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, I want you to understand something. He didn't say they were going to do it in the name of Moses or in their own names. They said that they were working for Jesus. Jesus, the Christianity. We did these things in the name. It wasn't what they were doing that had them separated from God. It was the fact that they were doing things according to their own efforts, believing that through those things they could attain eternal life and righteousness. They really believed that they were doing what was right, but they did not have the life. And the difference between that group of people and, and believers is the fact that what emanates out of the believer's life does not come through the law. It comes from God. And let me tell you something, just to make this real clear. 
a lot of people have a, a lot of different, because it, they're basing it off the free of the knowledge of good and evil, a lot of different ideas of what right is and right and wrong is. Some people think if you kill a, a, an unrighteous person, that that is a good thing. If you could kill an unrighteous, mm -hmm. like you're being good by killing another person because they're unrighteous, <laughs> when you yourself are unrighteous, as if that were true. But it is not true. The righteousness of God appears this way. If you have love emanating your heart toward every other human being on the face of this earth, that's the righteousness of God. If you have joy, if you have peace, if you have patience toward the people around you, if you have uh, self-control, uh, or temperance is a better word to use for that. Goodness, as every human being knows good. Now listen, you could say killing unrighteous people is uh, good, but you know in your heart that that is not righteousness. We know what goodness is. It's when you love the people around you, when you give to them, and when you gender. All of these things, when that fruit is emanating out of you, that's what goodness is. Don't deceive yourself in thinking that because you know God or you believe you know God, that uh, you're establishing rightness according to your religious law is, is, is what righteousness is. You understand where I'm coming from a little bit? Because some, somebody could say, yeah, I don't believe in the law of Moses. Either. I'm going to establish righteousness in this earth. And they go out and they kill a bunch of people who they think aren't righteous. Now, that is not true. That is not true. Uh, I'm real familiar with that verse. It's Matthew uh, 7, 21, 22. Yes. And when I was, uh, I think, about 25 years old, I read that. Uh, I've never even claimed to cast out a demon or prophesy. So I don't have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, like I said, really convicted me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, that is a a disconcerting verse of scripture. It really is. You read that and you say, "Oh my God!" Well, it, the things that I do in my life, but what is it? Or is it the things that they were doing? Did they think casting out demons and and heal? the sick or whatever it is, it, it, is, are those things not true? Is that why? But that's not what the deal is. The deal is, where are these things coming from? Are they coming from your uh, flesh, your, uh, your desire to, uh, you know, produce the righteousness of God in your flesh? Or are they coming from the heart of God? Those same things, you can do those same things and it'd be, you'd be completely justified in everything that you've done because it isn't emanating, emanating from your, the knowledge of good and evil or trying to attain righteousness, but because it is just in you to do those things because he is in. See, that got me before I came to Christ, but afterwards when I became religious, I wouldn't even read these verses. <laughs> Yeah, I am afraid of it. Just is what it is. 
let me tell you, I'm not afraid of any of the scriptures and things that uh, I don't understand. I read it and I said, Lord, in light of the truth, help me to understand what is being communicated. I don't know everything. I know what I taught today is true, <laughs> but I don't know everything, nor do I pretend to know everything. And, I, you know, we're about ready to quit, but I got to tell you, I, I was on Facebook the other day, and they had this guy doing a whiteboard, and I said, let me look at this guy doing a whiteboard, you know? I love whiteboard. And he, he was talking about some issue related to uh, Christianity. And he was talking about uh, Ravi Zacharias, his fall, you know, which I don't know why it is people find out bad things after people are dead or after they become politicians or something. <laughs> I, but, but why don't they do it while, while they're still around? They can answer the, the, the accusers, you know? But he was talking, you know, condemning uh, Ravi Zacharias for, for, for the things that he did, evident, that he evidently did. I'm not going to say, I don't know that he did them or not. But he, he was expressing some truth. And he says, listen, you may not understand this truth that I'm, I'm communicating to you here today. But we have a 22... Uh, it, uh, these 22 lessons that you can go through <laughs> and you, for you to understand what I'm saying here, you got to go through all 22 lessons here. Oh. And, you know, I'm thinking, is it really that complicated? Oh. It ain't that complicated. You know what? Jesus gave himself on and, and kind of like the Apostle Paul said, the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, whereby I enter into into him. There's no better life. There is no better life than to be in Christ. Anybody got any thoughts? I'm wondering if... Uh... The guy thought that Jesus thought of Robbie Zacharias any different than he did the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he didn't read that. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Anyway, let's pray. Father, we uh we thank you, Lord, for your love for us, your goodness. Lord, uh the simple plan of salvation that it doesn't take a scholar or a uh theologian to enter into and find the fullness thereof. And Lord, we thank you that you uh, gave the law of Moses to the children of Israel, that they might see that what they were believing on was the law of sin and death and that and the impossibility of attaining righteousness through external means and through human effort. And then you gave us Jesus. And we see the, the, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And that same glory can be within us and is within us when we believe on you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.